0: Well, t- today, uh, we're going to uh, talk about a little a little bit more in Genesis. Uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's um, message about uh, looking at the awe and wonder of God's creation. And hopefully, you had some takeaways from that. Um, summing up, I would say that, just reiterating that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. And... Uh, I think uh, looking at the Hubble telescope and things like that, uh, it's kind of cool, amazing that we could literally see the creation of the heavens uh, up close and personal, and so certainly take advantage of that as you uh, read or reread uh, Genesis 1. Um, the only thing I would do different from last week's message is to do a voiceover, uh, really deserve the uh, voice talents of James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman talking about the creation of the world, right? Something in awe and wonderfully awe-inspiring. But uh, today, uh, today's message uh, was originally titled, And Then God Made Man, (laughs) right? Creation, Genesis story, and then in Genesis 2, God created uh, Adam and Eve and then, can I say, all hell broke loose. <laughs> but I kind of retitled today's message um, as I went through it. Um, we, uh, last week's message, I could say we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And today's message, I think I would uh, retile, we were made on purpose for a purpose. We were made on purpose for a purpose. So as I share uh, messages, I have kind of uh, several goals in mind. One is to offer some inspiration from the Bible. Hopefully you'll get that today. Inspire hope and healing and kind of make sense of the gospel and the Bible, this big, complicated book. I'll be using uh, simple Bible study methods. You know, what does it say? What does it mean? And then what does it mean to me? So um, I printed out our text that we're going to, over today, Genesis 2. So we're going to look at what does it say and spend some time on what does it mean. And I really want you to focus, I'd encourage you to bring a little notebook that you could scribble down some notes, thoughts, but also what does it mean to you, your little takeaways as well. Um, As I did my uh, study, I'd also, I encourage myself and you as well, not to get too wrapped up into what it could mean, okay? That's Bible study 101. What does it say, what does it mean, and what does it mean to me? And uh, as you do Bible study, uh, you can go off into rabbit trail after rabbit trail of what the scriptures could mean. And we're going to wrestle with that a little bit because Genesis 2 appears to have some contradictions, and so we'll get into that in a little bit. But sometimes it's worth uh, reading. Um, oh, by the way, if uh, I'd encourage you to, I got 25 views already on last week's message. I posted it on YouTube. And so uh, feel free to look, just look up my name on uh, Facebook and I'll have uh, links to it. Or if you look on YouTube, I... Posted under, specifically, Zoe Life. Zoe Life. That's what I called my little house church, Z-O-E, and the word life. The word Zoe actually means life in Greek. Um, so it's kind of redundant, kind of life-life. but Zoe Life Ministries is where I'll be posting these online. Um, so, today's message, we were made on purpose, for a purpose, called, called to be holy, called to be holy. Next week, we may be discussing, if uh, everything goes well, a return to eating, rediscovering our calling and purpose. So I'm enjoying uh, uh, getting into Genesis and just all these uh, ideas and God's truth and God's words are, are uh, coming to the forefront. Sometimes it's worth just reading the narrative, and sometimes it's worth just, it's worth uh, parsing the text for the, you know, nuanced meaning of particular words as well. So through my studies, it's, sometimes it's important to be rigorous with our Bible study, and sometimes it's important just to listen with the heart of uh, listening to God's truth, and that's what I'm confident in. Is that if you, like Jesus said, uh, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, there's a message that I have for you. Okay? If you seek God, he's going to let you find him. If you come to uh, church, if you come to the Bible with that heart. Okay. All right. Let's uh, look at Genesis 2. One is the uh, kind of a summary statement. It's kind of interesting that that the end of the creation story, the seven days of creation, ends at the beginning of chapter two. It's kind of odd. Uh, so it's, it's uh, one simple lesson that the chapters and headings and verses are actually people's... Uh, Uh, imposition on the manuscripts Um, they came in manuscripts in historical documents and uh, version after version copy after copy was scribed and so these are the chapter headings are not god-given headings okay so the verse two chapter two verse verse one and two says thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Just like uh, Gary had mentioned today. Um, So let's uh, look a little closer at... This seventh day of rest. Um, I just Googled and looked up into the uh, in old Encyclope- Encyclopedia Britannica. They have a website now. When did the seven-day seven work week begin? It's interesting. It goes back to ancient Jewish times. Back to our Bible. Here I was thinking that, uh, I don't know, maybe it was... Um, Some agricultural, uh, what's that big book about uh, the farmer's almanac and, you know, cycles of the sun? I thought seven-day work week had to do with the agrarian farming culture, right? Um, But most references just go back to, it goes back to the ancient Jews and their historical account of creation. Seventh day, seven-day work week. It was certainly duplicated in Mesopotamia, the Sumerians, and the Babylonians, which divided their year into um, seven into weeks of seven days. So they did the same thing way, way, way back when, just like we do. Our seven-day work week times 52 weeks in a year. And they left one day for recreation. Wow. Gary, you should have gave today's message. You were... uh, (laughs) Yeah, you summarized the whole thing, even before I gave it. (laughs) So the seventh day was uh, set aside for recreation. The Romans used actually eight days, and then not until um, the Roman emperor got religion. Uh, Constantine, Emperor Constantine in 321, became a Christian, and... Uh, set aside the seventh day for um, rest, a day of rest, and worship. Um, Well, where did Monday through Friday, the 40-day work week come from? And where did the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday come from? Does anybody know? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Where did that come from? Interesting that uh, they were named after the heavenly bodies. Monday, any idea where that came from? Sounds like moon day, the moon, Monday. How about Saturday? Saturn is in that word, right? The worship or honoring of Saturn. How about Sunday? A little hint. <laughs> Came from the sun. In fact, we should open up these blinds, I think, today. would be a good idea to warm our souls, don't you think? Um, yeah, Sunday. So when Constantine uh, became a Christian and set aside Sunday for worship as well, he kept Sunday, Monday, and Saturday. But well, That leaves Tuesday, Wednesday... Thursday and Friday, right? Tuesday, if you have a guess, or if you know this, I go ahead and raise your hand like a class, okay? If anybody knows where Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday came from, raise your hand. Otherwise, I'm going to just read it for you. Tuesday came from the god of war, the Norse god of war named Tui. Tui, or Tiu. You. Okay? And then Wednesday came after the supreme deity of the god of Woden or Odin. And you see some of these mythological things in our Marvel movies. The god of Odin, right? Thursday, a little more closer to home, this will make Marvel fans happy. Thursday. Was named after none under, the god of thunder. Who's that? Thor, Thor, the god of thunder. That's in our, in our theaters. And Friday's a little weird one. It's uh, named after, Woden's Wednesdays, the the supreme deity Woden's wife, Frigg. So it became Frig Day or Friday. (laughs) So that's where our Monday through Friday came. Interesting, fun facts. Well, where did a 40-hour work week come? 40-hour work week. 1908 was the first five-day work week in the United States. Um, Also um, influenced by Jewish cotton mill uh, uh, workers, so they would not have to work on the Sabbath, from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. So 1908 in America was influenced to allow Jewish workers their ability to not work on the Sabbath. So again, influenced by the Bible, influenced by what we just read. Interesting fun fact. Um, Let's move on to uh, the text that says, God... Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It's interesting, the holy, this is the first time holy uh, occurs in the Bible, so let's break down that word study, do a little word study on the word holy. Holy uh, could also mean a synonym, um, consecrated, other big words like that. Um, where is that in my notes? Sorry about that. Um, yeah, consecrated, sanctified, sacred, hallowed. Literally, it means, however, to set apart for a purpose. Okay? Set apart for a purpose. And if you want to take notes, we're going to be going through that theme over and over again. And that kind of uh, uh, is repeated of our theme today, that we were made on purpose for a purpose. That is to be holy, that is to be set apart, okay? So, in fact, today you're having a congregational meeting, and you're going to be talking about some things, and uh, maybe approving um, a license for ministry for myself to minister through this church. So, uh, a license to to, uh, set apart officially uh, give someone the responsibilities to perform rites and rituals of the church is to set apart. So it's kind of a similar thing. Um, In ordination, a more formal process of churches and denominations, it it reckons to a same idea of holiness is to be set apart for a purpose. Um, Some people believe holiness means uh, to be perfect, but as we know, The Israel nation was to be holy, to be set apart. And as we know through Bible stories, Israel was anything but perfect, right? It was anything but perfect. And so the theme of holiness is really to be set apart for a purpose, to be different, to be different from the world. Um. Later on in, let's see, Isaiah 3.3, 6.3, uh, 6, rather, Isaiah 6.3, it says that holy, holy, holy is the Lord hosts day and night. So again, this word holy, God uses for the seventh day of creation. He uses for the nation of Israel to be holy set apart. He uses it for himself, holy, or uh, in Isaiah describes God as holy, holy, holy. So what does that mean? God is set apart. That is exactly what it means. A lot of people read into, this is where where we're talking about what it could mean. A lot of people think holy, holy, holy refers to the Trinity. You've heard that, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, three in one. Maybe, maybe it means that, but if we take it literally, when the Bible repeats thing, it repeats it for emphasis, right? So God is not only set apart, he's really, really, really set apart. So if you think of creation in this context, if you just think about um, the created uh, beings in in the world, well, there are plants, right? They don't have much personality, but they're beautiful, and And all that. And then there are animals, right? They've got a tiny brain, some bigger than others, some cuter, some more ferocious than others. And then there is the top of the food chain, right? Lions, tigers, bears, and then us. And then us, right? And then... The Bible speaks of that we were created, what? A little lower than the angels. So there are plants, animals, people, angels as far as beings, the heavenly bodies in the heavens, and then there's God. God is set apart, set apart, set apart. We are called to be holy as God is holy. So that's an interesting way to think apply or think about Isaiah 6.3. God is holy, 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 different, set apart. So holiness is not about being perfect, but instead it's about being separated, separate from what is carnal and sinful. Maybe that's the context. Now we cannot make ourselves perfect, we know that, but we can choose to be set apart for God and his purposes. We can choose to be holy, just like Adam and Eve and the first covenant people, Abraham. So Genesis uh, 2, 7, God set apart the seventh day and made it holy from rest, and very much just like uh, hardwired into our brains the circadian cycles for day and night and our hormones, so is the seven-day work week and a day of rest. Okay, on to point two. On to point two. Now we're going to be talking about um, what does it say, what does it mean, what it could mean, and we'll get to close our talk today with what does it mean to me. We look at this heading after Genesis 2, 2, we see the heading Adam and Eve. And I drew a little arrow that... It's kind of, I think it, the heading of Adam and Eve should actually be at verse 8. And the title should be, instead of Adam and Eve, creation summary, Genesis 2, 4 through 7. Okay? So let's read this together. Uh, Genesis 2, 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth, and when they were created, when the Lord God made the heaven, earth and the heavens. Now, No shrub had appeared on the earth, and there was no plant that had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, and the breath of life in the man became a living being. Then it goes on to say, now the Lord God planted the garden in the east, of Eden, and then put the man he had formed there. So, if you read this in order of what we just read, it sounds like a little bit of a contradiction, doesn't it? Because earlier, we saw that God created the heavens and the earth, and everything in the sky, and the sea, and let the sea be teeming with creatures, let the sky... uh, you know, fill the earth and sky and all the plants of the, of the animal. But in Genesis chapter 2, it said, no shrub had yet appeared on earth. And no plant had yet sprung up. For God did not send rain on the earth and there was no earth ground. Sounds like a little contradiction, doesn't it? And also, didn't God make man male and feeble in him, his image already in chapter 1? Right? Did we not, did we not learn in, in a Sunday school class that the first man and woman was Adam and Eve? <laughs> Does everybody agree with that? Yes? Well, let's read on. <clears throat> well, I'm going to uh, highlight a couple things here. If we go through logic, there's Adam and Eve. They had who? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel got into an argument, or at least Cain did. Cain killed Abel, right? So you have Adam, Eve, and Cain. And then God said, what have you done? Where is Abel? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And then God banished him from God's presence, right? And then uh, Cain says, don't banish me because people are going to find out and they're going to kill me. Wait a second. Adam and Eve were the first man and woman. They had Cain and Abel. Cain just killed Abel. And Cain is banished from the land and he's worried about other people killing him. Hmm, makes you... Wonder, doesn't it? And then later on, it says, uh, Cain, God said, uh, okay, um, nobody's going to kill you. I'll put a mark on you that uh, no one's supposed to hurt you. And so Cain goes off wandering, and uh, he takes a wife and forms and has a son named Enoch. And he he forms a city called Enoch, the land of Enoch, apparently with a city with people. Where did all these people come from? (laughs) It's kind of interesting. So, this is the rigor of reading. What does it say? What does it mean? What could it mean? What might it mean? And what does it mean to me? So, um, experts uh, believe a lot of these controversies have been picked apart by atheists and evolutionists because they, Christians themselves uh, believe that the biblical history accounts for the genealogy of Adam and Eve about 4,000 years. Well, recent archaeological evidence believes that they have found humans as far as 10,000 years. And so out there, on sites, in scientific academia, evolutionists versus creationists, there has been a debate going on that, see, the Bible's inaccurate. It can't be true. So, again, it's more feel for the fodder that its truths may not be as true as you believe or think they are. So the logical conclusion um, is do we believe it or not? What is the, the main theme? So literary criticism believes that, um, oh, they skipped ahead there. Let's see. For me, there's actually a better question and a better answer uh, versus were were there other humans besides Adam and Eve? Um, You know, one resource I uh, came across said, well, it doesn't actually say, the Bible doesn't actually say that there were definitely other humans before Adam and Eve, all right? but it allows the possibility that there may be. But I think a better question, what I get from this, what it means to me is is that in the story of Adam and Eve, that God created Adam and Eve, is that this is the first time that God named a human. This is the first time God named a human, actually called Adam and Eve, and place them for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, in a, in a sense to make them holy, to be set apart to do a certain thing. And that's an exciting calling. Going back to the theme that I mentioned, the title of today's message, is that not only we were, were we created um, fearfully and wonderfully, but we were created on purpose for a purpose. We were created on purpose for a purpose. So let's take a little closer look with uh, um, before we take a little closer look at uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, summarizing this uh, apparent controversy it makes more sense with some literary criticism that Uh, the creation story was actually Genesis 1 and ends in Genesis 2, verse 3. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And that's the end of the creation narrative. And then verses 2, 4 through 7, are actually a creation summary. Okay? Creation summary, Genesis 2, 4 through 7. And I'll read it just in its own context. And then... It could be like a natural break into the garden, the calling of Adam and Eve that we'll finish up on. So this is the, ca- the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And the Lord God made he- when the Lord God had made earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had been yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not set rain for there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. When the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life and the man became a human living being. So when it's read in that context, that it's a context, a summary of the creation story, it makes a little more sense. And now the heading, I think, makes more sense. Now, this is the story of Adam and Eve. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden and put it there for the man to be formed. I'll go ahead and read to the end of the page. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10 a river watering from the garden flowed from Eden, from where it was separating to four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pison. Fison. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The name of the second river is Gaihan. Gihon. It. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of, the, of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euph- Euphrates. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. The Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So this is a familiar story, right? That we've heard before. So let's look at the unique calling of Adam and Eve. So it's interesting that I read here that God made this garden and here it is in verse 9 the trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food now we've heard that before right we've heard that in the temp- temptation of eve and she actually verbalizes that when the serpent tempts her that the tree of uh, good and evil and she says well it does look for please it does look pleasing to the eye and good for food in fact i just did a message on on that Uh, a couple weeks ago at another church called the anatomy of sin. (laughs) Kind of the things that uh, go on a slippery slope that can tempt us. And part of that is this verbiage. It looked good for food, like, I need that, right? It's like every time I go to Costco, right? This temptation of the anatomy of sin happens every time we go to Costco, right? We walk down the aisles and we're going for whatever, milk, a chicken, and whatever, toilet paper, our necessities. And what do we see? We see all these shiny things, right? And it goes through our mind, I need that, <laughs> right? It goes from a want to we try to justify it. I need that. And it looks good for food, right? So Costco is def- get, definitely uh, uh, has our number down, they know what motivates us. They, we go there for necessities, and they want to sell us uh, $5,000 diamond rings as we walk by, you know, iPads and all these other things that, that tempt us. Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, who, needs, who goes there for their staples, and it's like, I think I need that kayak. <laughs> right? <laughs> it happens every time. Um, but it's interesting we see this term It was, all the trees were pleasing to the high and good for food. Interesting, huh? I've read this over and over again. I've always had this perception, just like, uh, there's probably a picture on the wall somewhere, the temptation of Adam and Eve, right? It's probably in Catholic churches, and you've got a naked Adam and a naked Eve, and there's a tree and a serpent and an apple, right? That's that's, That's the garden, all right? That's all we see. And we have this image that, I don't know, maybe it was on like one acre of land, you know, the tree of good and evil, you know, God placed them there. It was was like God was complicit in the story, it almost seems like, right? Like the tree of good and evil was this prominent thing in the middle, this shiny, shiny tree that they were working in the land and every day they would see this Amazing, pleasing to the eye, and it had the best fruit of the garden, and there was this temptation. I've always had that kind of image of the Garden of Eden. But actually, as we read the text, the Garden of Eden was actually like the Amazon forest. And all the trees were pleasing to the eye, and they were good for food. That's a little different than our perception, right? All the trees were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So I am convinced, actually, that Adam and Eve took a great amount of effort to seek out the tree of good and evil. So it wasn't just, you know, sometimes we look at the temptation of, of our spiritual parents and we look... You know, it it looked good for food. Maybe they were tricked. And, you know, they took a bite of the apple or fruit. What's the big deal? Wow, the punishment was pretty severe, right? Man. The punishment is death, basically. Apparently, this time, uh, humans live forever. The punishment, if you take a bite of this you will surely die there was a death sentence to this crime the punishment doesn't seem to really fit the crime okay so let's analyze this a little further i believe that the garden of eden was like maybe the amazon Um, there were four rivers running through it and uh, it traversed a, a certain so much land that it called it the land of uh, Cush, the land of Asher, and then the land of Havilah. So it wasn't just the Sacramento River running through Sacramento. Okay, the garden was huge, and it's almost like—have um, you seen that reality show, America's Great Race? Or or people running through the Amazon forest looking for, you know, like a treasure hunt or clues, it's almost like God said, hey, I, want, I created you for a purpose. I want you to take care of the garden. I'm going to take care of your needs. You'll have fellowship with me. There's just one thing. I, I don't want you to eat from this tree. I want you to respect that. I want you to respect me. I, I don't want you to do that. And it's almost like the scripture says it was in the middle of the garden. It's almost like if you were, uh, Adam and Eve were entered into a reality TV show and the prize, the temptation, the, the shiny fruit is, X marks the spot in the Amazon. But scripture says it was in the middle of the garden. It was, it was in the middle of the garden. It wasn't a huge clue. It wasn't like it was central and prominent but it was in the middle of the garden Adam and Eve I believe took it wasn't just a simple t- temptation it wasn't just a simple mistake but they had um, very much intent, intention to disobey to disrespect to go against their creator's wishes it's almost like uh, gambling Right, in the past, you know, you had to take a big effort to go gamble somewhere. As far as uh, uh, California, um, you had to go out of your way to uh, to uh, sin. Um, but we are carnal people, impulses ruled by impulses, hormones. But yet we are cerebral people. We are more than just rats. We just don't react to stimuli. Like Adam and Eve, we too are just human and carnal, and we kind of respond the same way to temptation. But this is the calling of Adam and Eve. This is a calling of our spiritual parents, that we are spiritual people created to hear the voice of God, whose laws are written in our hearts. We are called to be holy and set apart for a purpose. We are different. We are different than other people. I think this is the story of the garden, that God calls us to be different, not just secular, but sacred, not perfect, but set apart. We have a cerebral cortex that's huge. You know, We are not just animals that react by instinct, but we have a brain that allows us to think and to choose. And it's interesting, I just saw on Apple TV uh, a couple days ago this documentary about uh, whales called Fathom. Um, I like the ocean, I like marine biology, so I was kind of interested by it. And uh, it's kind of a, it was kind of a modern take on, I think it was Star Trek II. It's funny, Star Trek keeps coming up in my messages. Remember the Star Trek movie with the whales, right? There was that big, hunk of iron, I don't know, it was kind of stupid to me, a big hunk of iron that was coming into space that was supposedly going to detonate and destroy the Earth, and the only thing that could uh, stop it was the whales uh, uh, communicating with it, as if the whales had this higher form of consciousness to be able to uh, communicate interstellarly with uh, intergalactic beings. Well, this, movie, this documentary was kind of like that, where they were engaging what I believe is what's called anthropomorphism. That doesn't run off your tongue very easily. Anthropomorphism. It's attributing to animals human-like behaviors, thoughts, and feelings. Okay? Kind of like Bambi in Disney or... Um, treating your dogs and cats like humans, you know, or interpreting their uh, actions as human affections, just like when dogs come up and lick you, like, oh, that's so cute. They love me so much. We interpret it as love, right? But actually, do you know what's happening? They smell food. (laughs) They smell food on your breath, and they're coming up, and they're licking, uh, trying to get a taste of what you're eating. They're hungry is what they are. So we interpret it as love, like, oh, isn't that so awesome? My dog, dog loves me so much. So back to this uh, documentary, all they did was record whale sounds in high definition. And then they stuck these powerful uh, transmitters in the, in the water. And their whole research study, the whole purpose of the documentary was to see if the whales would respond to the recordings. Called out to be holy, set apart. This is the calling of humanity. We, what's the title of today's message? We were made on purpose for a purpose. To be more than carnal, God spoke to Adam, gave him a job, and provided for all his needs. He entered into a covenant relationship with Adam and you and I," he said. Uh, th- "This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to take care of, and this is what I'm going to do for you. I have one simple rule of trust, respect, and uh, r- respecting my position and who you are. It was a huge test for Adam and Eve, and guess what? They failed. <laughs> they failed." But, to end on a good note, we don't want to end on a bad note. The good news of the Bible is that God, what, did not give up on Adam and Eve. No, he didn't. The whole story of the rest of the Bible is a story of redemption, right? The story of reconciliation. And in the same way, God does not give up on us. Amen? He does not. So the take-home message today is that God made us on purpose for a purpose. And he does not give up on us. Being that it's Veterans Day weekend, we just celebrated that Friday. Any veterans here today? Veterans? Any veterans? No? I thought there would be a veteran here today. But in our military... It's kind of similar, right? They are what? Called out to be separate for a different mission. They are in a covenant re- relationship with United States military and the United States. If you're in the military, active military, you just can't go AWOL. I'm not even sure what AWOL means, but we all know what AWOL means, but I don't know what it stands for. What does AWOL stand for? Away without leave. Audrey, how do you know that? Were you in the military? No. Henry? Wake him up. Ask him if he was in the military. (laughs) If we're in the military, we just can't go AWOL, right? We can't be governed by our own rules, our own wills, but we're governed by what? A higher set of rules, codes, and ideals to what? What do people in the military do? defend the Constitution even with maybe their very lives. I've always kind of been fascinated by that commitment, personally. I never wanted to be in the military. I was glad I didn't have to be drafted. I'm glad I didn't have to go to war. But I've always been fascinated by military people's commitment to their calling. Soldiers have a covenant relationship similar to our calling by God. Adam's race was called to follow a set of rules, a set of codes, to fulfill a set of ideals that God had explained in the Bible. God's kingdom come, that God's will, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are the ideals that Christians Uh, devote their lives for we can reference uh, the different codes and rules and the ten commandments the rules and codes and the laws in leviticus leviticus 444 says be holy because i am holy be set apart because i am set apart and then jesus in the new testament sums up all the laws in what statement Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. More simply, love God and love people. Love God and love people. Well, in wrapping up, I want to thank certainly everyone who have served our country, but I've always been fascinated by their commitment to their calling, their unique calling to defend the Constitution. It's very similar to uh, we went through an election just last week. I've always been fascinated by the time and effort that people put into campaigns, right? All this time and effort to call on the phones and and uh, have people like you and me volunteer for, to elect so-and-so. Why? Because they are backing a candidate that stands for your own ideals, right? It's very similar for us as well as Christians. That God calls us, made us, for a purpose... On purpose for a purpose. So, with these things, I think this is a good place to start. Um, next week, we'll be talking about how to, I think I'm titling this uh, Back to Eden, how to restore our original purpose. So, today's message is uh, our take home is that God made us on purpose for a purpose. So this might be a good place to start as we talk about uh, our rehab, our rehabilitation, our recovery, where we might look into the Garden of Eden a little closer, a little uh, more closely to see what their job was, what their role was. So that's uh, it for today. So let's go ahead and end and uh, uh, close in prayer. God, we uh, just thank you for the time in your word. We thank you for the encouragement, seeing your creation, and the sense of all that we have seen. And we could actually see pictures of you creating the heavens. And God, may it inspire us. And like was said at the beginning of the message of worship time, that you have created us in your image. And let us be encouraged that we were wonderfully and fearfully made. And God, today we discovered uh, our spiritual parents, that they were uniquely called called out from uh, their uh, uh, created beings to become Adam and Eve that you called by name. You called them into a covenant relationship, God. You made them on purpose, for a purpose, and you do us as well. So, God, uh, for those that do not have a relationship with God yet, with you, God, the way to do that is to simply repent, that is, turn toward God, and allow him to love and forgive us through the work of Jesus Christ. God, you restore fellowship again with yourself, our creator, our heavenly father. It is the good news of the Bible, and we pray that uh, how to do that, all we do is humble ourselves before a holy, holy, holy God. That you are set apart way beyond um, who we are as created beings. You, God, you deserve the honor, the glory, and respect. And we could do so simply by acknowledging and humbling ourselves before a holy God. Humbly accept God's initiative to uh, reach out to me. That uh, God calls us again, sons and daughters by name, just like he did Adam and Eve. He calls us by name again. Thank you, God, that you made me on purpose for a purpose. In your sons' name we pray. Amen.